morning. Okay, so this morning, uh, Monica and I are sharing about our last, uh, uh, the two of our cultures. This is our last, uh, last talk on the, on the KIC Lua cultures. And this, this morning, I'm talking about worship. And Monica later on will talk about the culture of honor. So you can quickly go back and look at what our mission statement. Let's, let's read that together. We are accepted and... Okay, again, accepted and transformed to bring God's kingdom into our world. That's why we exist as KIC Lubowa. That's what we are here for. And, and, and if you remember the, the week before, I, I just shared about, uh, the week, two weeks ago, I shared about authenticity, and I was talking about how it is important for us to be a church that we all count people in, that embraces people of all walks, who are different stages in their work with the Lord, who are struggling with different issues. It's very important that we are a church that welcomes people, and then that makes people feel like they are part of God's family, because that's what we exist for. But also, it's not just about bringing people in and making them feel comfortable and welcome and all that. It's also important that we actually help people in their work with the Lord to grow, to be discipled, and be all that God has created them to be, and to fulfill their life mission or their life purpose. So that's uh, what we exist uh, uh, for as a, as a body of believers here at Lower. And then our cultures, we looked at the culture of discipleship. Who was here last week? Who was here last week? Who was here last week? Who, okay, who wants to share a little bit about what Monica shared about discipleship? Esther, tell us, what is discipleship? Remind us, Esther. Okay, so Monica shared about being committed to Christ. It's not just being a follower of Christ. You know, Christ had lots of followers, lots of followers, but very few disciples. How many disciples did he have? In the beginning, in the beginning. Yeah, so every time things would get tough, every time he would say something that was difficult for them to listen, they would walk away, they would walk away. When there would be a miracle, when there would be the multiplication of, of the food, then the crowds will come, you know? And that's exactly how you can tell a true disciple. A true disciple is committed to Christ. In the difficult seasons of life, in the good seasons of life, they are committed to the cause of Christ, to walking with him all the days of their lives. And then family. Jay, family. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, we, we thought you were helping out with preparing her someone, so you would probably have a better idea. <laughs> Who wants to t- tell us what we shared about family? Family. The culture of family. Yes, Monica. The idea of brotherhood and brethren that is very um, dominant throughout the scriptures. Okay. So together we form the family of God here on earth. Uh, and it's also important as a, as a congregation that we are promoting that and we are encouraging that. And, and, and I think one of the things that I remember that, that really drew me to KIC when I first came 
I, I remember the, uh, it's just the way people just love on you and people just come around you and people are working with you and they're supporting you and they're, they're really helping you to become all that you're meant to be in the kingdom of God and they walk with you in the good and the bad times. They, they help you when you're going through the messes of life and they help you when you're going through the joys of life. And that's what family is all about. We stick with each other through the good and the bad. But ultimately, it's because of the love of God that is in, in the inside of us. And then there's a culture of honor, which is going to be talked about later on. And then the culture of authenticity, which is basically about being real, about where you are, but also not just focusing on where you are right now, but also looking at what Christ has done for you and how you can be growing towards that, how you can be making progress from where you are to being all that. God has created you to be and God has called you to be. So this morning we are going to talk about worship. So when you hear that word worship, what comes to your mind? I, I need a few answers. Daniel, when you hear the word worship, what comes to mind? Sing. Guitars <laughs> and singing, yes. Uh, dancing. Lifestyle. Any other, any other pictures, images, thoughts, ideas? What comes to mind? Service. Service. Nelson, thank you. Humility uh, and just focusing on Jesus, yes. Hmm? Meditation, imagination, yes. There, there are so many, things, so many things that come up when you hear this word. So for many people, worship is what happens during the 30 to 40 minutes of our Sunday gatherings, the first 30 to 40 minutes. For many people, that's what worship is understood as. When you talk about worship, someone will think about those first few minutes that we have uh, when we actually get together on a Sunday morning, the 30 to 40 minutes of our Sunday gatherings. For others, it's just that singing session during our service. For others, it's that time when the music is slower and more contemplative. Others, that's what worship is. For others, worship is any music about God. <laughs> and so on and so on and so on. We all have different things that we grew up in our minds about worship and what we think worship is. And I just want to say a little bit about my experience. So when, uh, in my earlier years of, um, of working with the Lord, my understanding of worship was limited to the physical expressions. For me, it was about the kneeling or the bowing or the raising of my hands or the closing of, of my eyes, you know, or the flow of tears every now and then, or the shouting, the jumping up and down. Sometimes maybe the fasting coupled with looking miserable. For me, that's what I thought worship was all about. You have to fast, you have to look miserable, and there you're truly worshiping God. I actually thought worship was all about being miserable for the longest time, because the people who I knew who loved God and were working with God were always miserable, always miserable. Oh, brother, I'm praying about this. Brother, I'm doing this. I'm spending time, you know. And that, I grew up thinking that's what worship is all about, you know. So many times myself, I actually faked these expressions, hoping they would draw me closer to God. Am I alone? <laughs> Am I the only one who, ever, who used to fake those, those, you know, like... So that you can fit in. Or you are hoping that as you do all those things, you actually get closer to God. So I used to do that as well. I would fake those expressions. And I was hoping they would draw me closer to God. But also because I wanted to fit in with the church where I, would, I was attending. But all this just left me even with a deeper longing for something else I couldn't figure out at that time. So this morning I want to submit to you that worship is, first and foremost, the attitude or the position or the alignment of our hearts above everything else. 
Worship is a heart issue. That's where it starts. When we do emphasize the expressions that I've talked about, like the kneading, the closing, all the playing, the instruments, all the singing and all that, if we emphasize that at the expense of the condition of our hearts, we are missing out on what God's original idea was for worship. His original design and intent for worship is us being in a heart-to-heart relationship with him. And that's worship is at the core. So if you look at Mark 7, 6 to 7, Jesus in his teachings constantly emphasized the condition of our heart above the outward expressions. So in Mark 6, 7, 6 to 7, he says, he re- Jesus, this is Jesus replying to the Pharisees, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And this is what he says. The emphasis is mine. They worship me in vain. What is he saying? Jesus is saying, you can lift your hands, you can cry, you can fast, you can do all these things, but if your heart is far from him, it's just honoring him with your lips. And he says that sort of worship is vain. It doesn't honor him. Also, when you look at Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus, in response to a question from a Pharisee about what the greatest commandment is, responded, who knows? You shall love the Lord your God with all your... That word is coming up again. That is worship, loving the Lord your God with all your... With all your soul and with all your mind. Any anything that flows outside of anything besides your true love for God is not worship. So worship is an outflow of our love for God, of our devotion to God, of our commitment to God, even as Monica was sharing last week. True worship should be an outflow of that. So that is the first thing that I wanted to to emphasize. That's a foundational truth. Worship is a heart issue. But also, um, Christine raised something that I also want to emphasize this morning. Worship is a lifestyle. It's good to have these guys at the front for the 30, 40 minutes, but what happens during the rest of the week in our lives? In Romans 12, 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And then he ends by saying, this is your true and proper worship. So Paul is essentially saying that God wants us to live in such a way that every aspect of our being, every aspect of our being is an act of worship to God. And that requires us to die daily. It requires us to die daily to ourselves. I, 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 I read a joke and someone says the problem with living sacrifices is that they constantly crawl off the altar. <laughs> constantly. So I don't know about you, every single day that I exist, there's something in my life that I need to constantly give back to God. There's an area of struggle, an area of weakness, an attitude of my mind that I need to submit to the authority of Christ, to the Lordship of Jesus. Each one of us, if we are honest, there is an area in our lives 
And they will be different in different seasons of our lives, but there is an area where we need to die to ourselves and become alive to Christ. There's always an area. So the issue is, the issue is not the fact that you crawl off, but when you crawl off, get back on that altar again and constantly be a living sacrifice, constantly lay down your life, constantly die to yourself and become alive to Christ. Uh, Paul in Philippians 1.21 summarizes worship this way. For me to live is Christ. And that is the essence of worship. For me to live is Christ. So worship is not merely what we engage in on Sunday morning, but rather how we live a life that pleases and glorifies God every moment of our existence. So how we treat our families when they are unlovely, how you speak to that reckless border, border guy who cuts you off in traffic. <laughs> Sometimes I, 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 I yeah, we, we always joke that if it was possible, I would actually go around with a whip in my, in my car. But, you know, like you find those guys, you pack and give him a whip and then just go on. Cause, yeah. But how you speak to that reckless border guy who cuts you off in traffic. How we treat our bodies, which are his temple. The thoughts that occupy us. All that is defined as worship, any of those areas, as long as they are constantly being submitted to the Lordship of Christ, that is worship. Also this morning, I want to emphasize something else. There's a difference between the old and the new covenant when it comes to to worship. So uh, I'm not going to go there, but if you can get some time, read Hebrews 8 and 9 and read John 4, 20 to 24. So in John 4, 20, 24, Jesus is addressing the Samaritan, the, Samar- the woman from Samaria, yeah, who had, um, Jesus was at the well, and this woman was there, she had come to fetch water, and then they have a conversation, and, and this conversation leads to this thing, where Jesus says, you worship what you don't know, but we worship what we know. And then he goes on to say what he says in John 4, 20, 24. So if you look at that, that comparison. In the Old Testament, there was a specific location for worship. So the Jews, at every particular point of time in a year, they had different festivals, and they would move to a particular place. There was a specific location where they would actually go to do that worship, where they would actually go to do all this thing that they would do as worship to God. They had specific, specific location, and they had a very specific times. They had specific celebrations, festivals, where they would actually go to honor God. And there were very specific locations, there were very specific times, and they were giving animal sacrifices. And actually the Bible says the blood of bulls and goats could not actually do what? Could not, could not really sanctify them, could not really cleanse them of their sin. But that was the Old Testament. It was all these animal sacrifices all the time. Even the high priest had to sacrifice for himself because even himself he struggled with sin. And then the high priest was chosen from among the people. But then there were also several rules and regulations that you had to obey to the dot for your worship to actually qualify as worship to God. Come to the New Testament. Jesus says it's no longer about a specific location. It is anywhere. He says it's not in Jerusalem. It's not in, on this mountain, but rather wherever you are. So the worship is no longer confined to a particular place. Worship is not confined to KIC Luboa on a Sunday morning here at AIM. Anytime, like I said, lifestyle, all your life, worship. But then also in the New Testament, we've heard that Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, who takes away our sins, was given for each one of us. And it was a perfect sacrifice. There's never going to be any other sacrifice we can give to please God. And then again, the high priest 
unlike in the old covenant where we had uh, uh, the high priest being chosen from among the people, here Jesus is the high priest. Basically, Jesus, who is God himself, is mediating between God. I mean, he's mediated between himself and man. Unlike in the Old Testament where there will be a high priest mediating between God and the men, but Jesus himself is now the mediator of the new covenant. And then, unlike the Old Testament where it was about rules and regulations, it is about relationship, relationship, relationship with Jesus, with God. So John Piper beautifully summarizes the above differences. He says this, so you can see what is happening in the New Testament. Worship is being significantly deinstitutionalized, delocalized, deritualized. The whole thrust is being taken off ceremonies and seasons and places and forms and is being shifted to what is happening in the heart. Not just on Sunday, but every day and all the time in all of our lives. But then this leaves us with a question. Then what is the essence of corporate worship? What's the essence of us coming together and do what we do every Sunday morning in the traditional sense of worship? What is the essence of that? So although the New Testament is very silent about corporate worship, we also see examples from Scripture where the early church engaged in it. We see through the book of Acts that the church met in the temple, in synagogues, and regularly from house to house. In Acts 2.46, it says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We see the idea of psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing. And then the writer of Hebrews encourages us as believers to prioritize fellowship with one another. In Hebrews 10, 24, 25, he says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So there is a place for corporate worship, like you've seen in those particular examples. But then what is the goal of corporate worship? I'm going to give two, and I know there are more, but this morning I want to talk about transformation, and the other one is revival and reformation. So if you go back to that scripture that I just read in Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, it says, we come together in order to stir up love, first and foremost, love and good works. So whenever we come together as a body of believers for what we call corporate worship, first and foremost, the idea is to stir up one another, to stir up each other's love for God, first and foremost, but also love for one another, but also love for the dying world. And the result of that is the good works. And as a leadership team here at KIC Luboa, our desire is for our gatherings, be it on Sunday morning, or in our different home fellowships, or in our missional communities, we, our desire is for us to be focused on magnifying the Lord Jesus to the point of experiencing his manifest presence in our celebrations. For the word of God, which is the truth, to be rightly divided in the teaching and the preaching, and therefore see each other step into greater freedom from the former way of life. So ultimately, worship is about transformation. It's not about us just having a good experience. Uh, you know, um, sometimes I think we come with this, ex like, 
I'm going to worship. I'm, I can't wait to see what Trina does this morning because I, you know, because, you know, I, I don't know what she's going to do. I don't know what she's going to lead us in. I don't know what songs are going to do, but I'm excited because you're hoping that when you come, you're going to get like a, maybe a drug boost or something. Like, you know, people go and get a drug boost, something to just to get you going, stimulate you and take you for another week. But that's not ultimately what worship is all about. That's not what we are aiming at. We want us to be transformed from the inside out. We want to start each other up to love God more and more and to love one another more and more and to love the world out there more and more. And that's the goal of corporate worship. The other one is revival and reformation. When our worship is characterized by unity, liberty, and the manifest presence of God, revival and reformation in our communities is inevitable. William Booth says this, the lost are intrigued and they are bound to come and investigate us. If the church was on fire for God, people for miles would come to watch it burn. If what happens, and I, I know one of the things that I love about this particular congregation, our worship here, it's in the sense of singing and the celebration, it's, it's really, really amazing. Like, you know, you, you live in courage and you're strengthened and all that. But it's not meant to stay contained in here. We are meant to be so transformed. We are meant to be so encouraged. We are meant to be so energized to go out there and be witnesses for the cause of Christ because of what happens within our congregation worship. So that transformed believers are compelled to share their faith with a dying world. And John Piper says worship is the fuel for missions. So it starts in here. As we are being transformed, as we are loving God more and more and each other more and more, and ultimately, that is the fuel that helps us to go out there and make a difference in our world. So worship is not meant to be contained within the four walls of a church. It's meant to actually affect how we relate with the dying world out there. How we impact our communities, how we impact our neighbors who do not know Christ, how we impact our families who do not know Christ. The transformation that happens in us needs to actually lead to a reformation, to a revival within our communities. But also the other aspect of worship is worship is warfare. Worship is warfare. Worship magnifies God. Worship releases his light and dispels darkness. Worship impacts the spiritual realm of communities. Battles are won in worship. And I'm not going to go into the details, but if you read 2 Chronicles 20, 18 to 24, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or if you've read Acts 16, 16 to 33, about Paul and Silas in jail. You know what worship actually does. Worship is warfare. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4, it says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, the ones we fight with have the divine power to demolish strongholds. And worship is one of those things that God has given us as believers. When we engage in this hot pursuit of God, of loving him, of living for him, and also that the singing and, 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 and the fasting and all these things coupled together, but from a place of really wanting to love God more and honoring him more. We are affecting the, the spiritual realm around us by doing that. Food for thought, as I conclude. So our corporate worship experience is not solely the, the responsibility of Alex and his team this morning. Our corporate worship experience is not his responsibility entirely. 
It's not trainer's responsibility. It's not any worship leader's responsibility. We should not only come with the attitude to receive from God, but also with the readiness to share from the overflow of what God has done in our own lives in the course of the week. So in other words, what needs to be happening is we need to be pursuing God. We need to be worshiping in our homes, in our individual lives, in our places of work. So when we come together, hey, hey. Just imagine if each one of us lived so much on fire for God during the course of the week and we're pursuing God and we're laying down our lives for the cause of Christ and we were pursuing knowing the truth of the word and allowing that transformation to happen in our lives and we're putting that music in the house and, and we're just raising our hands and shouting for God with our kids and doing all these things. Imagine then what would happen when we'd come together as, an, as, as a body of believers on a Sunday morning. So we each have a responsibility towards the experience of other people's and the experience of others on our worship celebrations on Sunday mornings. It's not that leaders, it's not just the band, and, and, and we are committed as the band to do our best to practice and do all these things, but ultimately you bring something. You bring something by the way you live your life in the course of the week. So how you worship as an individual all week long will have a bearing on how you worship corporately on Sunday morning or even in the home fellowships when you gather with other believers. And I would like to end with 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 11. And that's like Paul's teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says. But the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, of the Spirit, is given to each one for the profit of all. So every time we come together and we are pursuing God and we are honoring God and we are worshiping God, even with us singing and all our praise, what is meant to happen is, is that God will equip each one of us to love on the other person. God will equip us to pray for one another. God will equip us to give a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom to pray for somebody who is sick in our congregation so that they are healed, to pray into someone's situation so that that situation changes. That's why we come together every Sunday morning because God wants us to use to be the body one to another. So what do you bring to the table on Sunday morning? What are you bringing next Sunday even as we have that worship service? God bless you.